millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we like to celebrate the spirit of Manchester by talking to somebody who's helped shape the city. This week in the final episode of Series 2, I'm joined by Karina Jadav, founder and owner of Menagerie Restaurant and award-winning businesswoman. Karina talks about setting up Menagerie after the success of her previous restaurants. So I was terrified again. I'd gone from being quite confident to being scared. And she'll describe how it feels to be a strong woman in a male-dominated industry. And I was working with a team of guys and they were just looking at me like, you don't have a clue what you're doing. Gives a great pleasure to welcome to the studio a woman who's made quite a name for herself on Manchester's food and hospitality scene in recent years. Uh, she's given us some amazing restaurants, including a place like Southern Eleven Neighbourhood, uh, Victor's and more recently Menagerie. Karina Jadav, welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester. Hi, thank you for having me. It's the first time we've met, I believe, isn't it? It is, although I'm not sure if I've actually come across you and you just don't remember me. I, I've got a feeling back back in the days of journalism we might have um, crossed mm. paths, but the fact that you, you work or your latest restaurant is like less than 200 yards from where we're sitting at the moment, so we've probably walked past each other in spinning fields often. And uh, Probably. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things, including these restaurants you guys that you've built over the years. Um, you're expecting a baby as well, aren't we? 
I am. I'm due in August and right. I'm having a little boy. A little boy? Yes. Due in August. So not long away. We better get a move on, aren't we? I know, he's kicking away. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Karina, you were born in Blackburn and how was your childhood? Well, I was born, yes, I was born in Blackburn um, and I just had a really lovely childhood because I don't, you don't think of this when you think of Blackburn, but it's just a lot of countryside. So I spent my childhood, you wouldn't let your kids do it now, just running around in the fields and basically went out on a Saturday morning and came back for tea and played fairies and played with the cows and did that. So it's nice. <laughs> Sounds exactly like my Set childhood, <laughs> playing fairies and playing with cows. I, I spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, what did your parents do for work? So my dad was a doctor and my mum was a nurse. I think even now my dad turned to me yesterday and said, I wish you had a proper job. And what he means is I wish you were a doctor or a solicitor and business is so unstable. Why are you doing this? But my business isn't unstable, but he just perceives business as not being a consistent, steady job. And he yeah. thinks like being a doctor is kind of like safe and you get maternity leave with the NHS, all of that. So kind of growing up in that environment, they were caring people, obviously they worked in caring professions. It's obviously kind of rubbed off on me a bit, which is something I have to fight against myself sometimes at work because it's not necessarily beneficial for me to be like that in yeah. the workplace. Especially the workplace that you're creating, because it's very—it's all about the party, isn't it? So you're probably creating a few party animals. And yeah, <laughs> let's talk. About, how did you get on at school? Did you do well at school? I was an absolute geek. Was yeah. you really? I was scared of everyone, and I was scared of not getting ten out of ten, and just did just got my head down. I was quite well behaved, really, until I got to like fifteen, sixteen, and really started to notice boys. But we, I went to an all-girls school in Blackburn, so yeah. I didn't really have lots of distraction, did loads of drama, theatre, dancing. and was I was just really, really geeky. I wasn't particular. I don't think anybody would have looked at me and thought that I was going to go into business or that I would have like the gumption to go and do that because I was quite scared as well. But the theatre side, I guess, has stayed with me because I've used that a lot now as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, until I started going out about 16. And I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, we used to go out with £10 and come home with like £5 change and still have like, <laughs> you know, had drinks in every bar. And I'm like, how did I do that? Blagging. Yeah, but I still got, <laughs> I, I was allowed to go out as long as, oh God, I shouldn't say I was going out at 16. Obviously you're not supposed to, but I used to go out and, but I still got kind of straight A's at school. So I was allowed to as long as school was okay yeah was music a big thing for you the funny thing is I've got I did dancing from being three to 18 and like part of our dance exams was always like the rhythm section and I had terrible rhythm <laughs> I did ballet modern tap and jazz so I worked really really hard but for me music I loved music absolutely loved it but I'd listen to like the same song on repeat and it would be like the cheesiest thing ever you, you, you probably wouldn't want to hear what I was listening to but right, it probably was, not I won't dwell on that then <laughs> don't dwell on it you'll, don't dwell on. you'll kick me out and you went to university did you go to university to study journalism or was it something else no I didn't know what I wanted to do and I ended up doing a three year drama degree at Manchester which was like an academic course so I did documentary and but it was re it was really academic and it was really um, interesting but probably not right for me yeah so you still didn't, didn't know where you were going at that point I wasn't point. sure I was a complete little lost soul the mm. first Four weeks at uni, I ended up going into hospital because I'd had appendicitis. So I missed freshers week and all of that and didn't really ever settle in. So I did three years, but I never quite felt like I'd found my place. And, mm. um, you know, and I just do silly things to rebel. Like they wanted us to do a video installation. So I was like, this is a load of rubbish. So I'm just going to film pigeons for two weeks. And I'm going to say it's like a microcosm for society because, you know, <laughs> pigeons, if you're going to make me do something stupid, I'm going to give you a stupid response. Yeah. 
and I got, you know, like a bad mark on it. But it was a beautiful video and I really got to know the pigeons at Piccadilly Gardens really well and you can't feed them. It's illegal. Even our pigeons are cool, aren't they, in Manchester? It yeah. sounds like me at art college. I went to art college because I did bad at school, yeah. didn't have anything planned career-wise. And over the summer of 75, I think it was, I just thought, I'll go to art college. That's just a bit of a stepping stone to, to decide what to do next. But you could do all sorts of and just call it art. Filming pigeons oh. included, you know what I mean? It's art. Completely. So. Like <laughs> trash cans that were fl- like flowing across the floor and everyone was like look at that it means something i was like it doesn't mean anything am i the only person here that can see but <laughs> that's mean i'm not being fair there you know people spent a lot of time thinking about those things and then you went to a uca uh, university of yeah. central lancashire in preston yeah what did you focus on there i did um that's where i did my postgrad in broadcast journalism and it kind of felt more comfortable to me because it was a bit more structured and then from there i met John Pickford at Key 103. He was like my mentor back in the day. And I just ended up going to work in the newsroom every Saturday and Sunday. So just kind of rock up at 5.30 on a Saturday. And off I'd go straight back out in the radio car and go and find where the stabbing or shooting had been and go and knock on doors. Uh, So broadcasting, what was your first proper job then when you got out of uni? Well, I started getting paid there, actually, eventually. So that was my proper radio job. And they used to let me read the news for Magic. And, like, I did get to read the news for... So that was great. And then I went to Granada Reports and did my first proper contract there. And I had, like, three different jobs because they just kept saying, well, we can give you a contract doing this and you can do this. So I was, like, cleaner, desk journalist, voiceover, all sorts of random... When you used to be a newsreader, did you end the news report by saying your name? Yes. Can you do it so, now for us? What, Nick, well, yeah, so we'd start with something like, you know, our top story. You know, and today's going to be really sunny and um, a dog from Moss Side has found a new friend and blah, blah, blah. Thank you. I'm Karina Jadhav. That's good, that. I like that. Did you see that? Bit of theatre there on the podcast. We're having that. <laughs> um, what were the highlights of your broadcasting career? Big highlight for me was going to Downing Street with some kids from Manchester who were trying to raise awareness about poverty, child like poverty. And um, so that was amazing because I got to learn a lot more about it and I got to go and meet children that were kind of working in sweatshops in India and talking to them and they were absolutely amazing but then I got to go to 10 Downing Street and interview Gordon Brown about it so I mean I was really young and I don't think I had a clue the funny thing is I worked as a journalist and I worked on a political program at ITV as well and I still wasn't great at politics I was a bit out of my depth they shouldn't really have sent me and they should never have let me report on sport and how did you take to life in Manchester then because you moved from Blackburn to live in, in the city didn't you Well, I never left after uni. Um, I stayed. When I came to Manchester from Blackburn, Blackburn is where I'm from and it's always going to be home. But Manchester, I felt like I fit in because it's so multicultural and like it's almost a good thing to be different. Whereas growing up, I was very much like the Indian child. And I'm I'm mixed race. I'm not Indian, but people be like, where are you from? Where are you from? I'd be like, Blackburn. (laughs) They'd be like, no, where? Where are you from, though? Oh, my dad's Indian. And that's kind of, when I came to Manchester, I didn't feel that stigma the same way. Yeah. When I was at school, I had this thing, like all the girls I went to school with were blonde and they looked like Barbie dolls and like super gorgeous. And I was like, I want blonde hair. So I dyed my hair blonde when I was 16. Bearing in mind, nobody can see me, but I'm I'm quite dark because I'm half Indian. When I came to Manchester, I started to feel like I was kind of comfortable in my own skin. And I was like, this is a good thing, like to be different and to stand out of it and not to be like the same as all the people that I'm around all the time. So that's one of the things that with the city that I've I've always, I kind of never wanted to leave and that made me feel like more at home here. 
A lot of people have said that about it. It's the um, melting pot. Colin Gibbons, one of our recent guests, mm. described it as that real melting pot sort of vibe, you know, all the multicultural stuff that's going on in the city and uh, people from all over the world thriving here, which is brilliant. How did you make the transition from journalism into food then? Where did that come from? I was working as a freelancer and my partner, my then partner, who I later married, left his job at Lidl to set up a food court unit but he was also doing that made, that simplifies it a lot he was doing like food and drink markets and did, had a trailer and just worked up from there so I just ended up helping out even now when I talk about it because it's so much you get such like a direct um, action and response in terms of business when it's like a little bit smaller that it was so satisfying to see that you could really impact the business quite easily just with like marketing it differently or going out so for example we did um a food trailer at Event City for like the X Factor auditions and we ran out of stock. But I was like, this is amazing. So I ran over to Costco and just bought loads of crisps and cans and got myself a shopping trolley from Asda. Sorry, Asda. And um, <laughs> was like running down the side of the queues, like selling cans of Coke for a pound and packets of crisps. And they were like, God, that's expensive. I was, but I was like, oh yeah, I know, I know. But it's not me that sets the prices, it's my boss. And I was like, yes, come on. Like, mate, And I just felt like such a thrill doing it. I really, yeah. really enjoyed it. And then I used to work on the till. I used to stand at the entrance to the Arndale Food Court and hand out samples and just ended up working there like all the time basically and and helping out so then slowly step by step ended up getting involved in the business going to the accountants learning how to do the bookkeeping which is basically common sense isn't it but you know just figuring it out as I went along and kind of never looked back when I got to the point where I was making like nothing doing my freelance shifts like all over the show driving like ages to get to places and just being like I don't enjoy this like Mm. I'm not enjoying this as much as I enjoy going to the food court and like putting my uniform on and doing that I ended up going and like kind of joining in with that business full time but it wasn't my business until we opened the full service restaurant and then he kind of said right do you want to do this do you want to properly be involved in this yeah I was like yeah and the full service restaurant, was that Southern Eleven? Yeah, it was yeah. American Barbecue. I remember it. I went there several times and it was a brilliant place. Oh, I just miss the food so yeah. much. It makes me feel hungry now. thinking about it. Did that close down? Did you sell it? What happened to it? Because it's not there now, is it? It closed it. So I left, so in the space between Southern Eleven opening, we opened a restaurant called Neighbourhood and a restaurant called Victor's. And then I left the businesses in 2015 when I got divorced. Um, and then after I left, they closed Southern Eleven. But that was kind of like my baby Southern Eleven in a way that it was a learning curve as well. Let me just backtrack a little bit there because you, you you started off, you did the, the, the stall, you had a food stall, didn't you? Was that part mm-hmm. of the Manchester Food and Drink Festival? We did the Food and Drink Festival two years, yeah. Phil Jones is a character that you probably know really yeah, well. Yeah, Phil's the guy that created the Manchester Food and Drink Festival 21 years ago, I think, isn't it? Madness. And at the beginning, I've known him since before that. He was always in the, really? the music and comedy scene, managing yeah. and putting gigs on and that. And I remember when he started doing this Manchester Food and Drink Festival, it just shows how much the culture of the city has mm. changed. Because back then we were all looking at him like thinking, who's asked about a food and drink festival? What, what are you doing? You know, it's, music's better. But he just totally, I think people like Phil and other individuals and entrepreneurs, including yourself, mm. have made the city what it is now because the food and drink scene now is just as good as anywhere in the world, isn't it? 100%. More offerings, variation, new food coming into the city. Like, that's exciting to people. Then again, I'm pregnant right now. So the thought, like, anytime I see anything, I'm like, oh, food. But, you know, human beings, it's like so, it's such a basic, instinctive thing to, like, eat. It's comfort and yeah. it's happiness. And when we started doing the Food and Drink Festival, it was American barbecue. And nobody had really seen American barbecue because it was very stuck in the southern states in America, the way that they cooked it and the machinery to even do it. Like, we went to... um 
like a a garden centre in Tennessee and bought these. I mean, they're like $200, but you just couldn't get them in the UK. Mm. Um, just were burning ovens that were like little, basically just tins where you just put your pellets in and just smoked away yeah. and just started in the garage with those. I used to spend a lot of time in the States and it was when the, um, I think it was $2 to the pound back then. And, uh, and and everything was cheaper in America anyway, but the, the stuff we used to bring back from over there just in, spread across several suitcases, you know what the I mean? Good old days, Barbecue $2 sets a pound. And all sorts, yeah. um, let's talk about the people that inspired you. But, so as you're moving up the through the industry, the, the food and hospitality industry, who were the people that you were looking at uh, in the city or elsewhere and thinking, that's who I admire, that's who I want to be like? I think for me, two, two key people like stood out in hospitality because I'm definitely not, the norm for hospitality and I don't really fit in with the scene like people like Phil Jones have always been really nice and like I massively respect him when we opened Neighbourhood Mike Ingle who's the MD of Allied London so kind of Mr Spinningfields was hugely inspirational and also he gave us the opportunity to do what we were doing because he did the deal with us and took us seriously he was amazing and for somebody that doesn't work in hospitality, he's very like-minded in terms of, and he's very like knowledgeable about hospitality. So he got the concept because with Neighbourhood especially, it really was completely new to the UK in a way, not just Manchester, but he believed in what we were doing and kind mm. of supported with that, which was amazing and very, very fortunate. Um, Tim Bacon was just having his kind of come back at the time because Alchemist had just opened and was doing really well. Oast House, he'd done with Mike Ingle. It was just one of those things like, I always thought I was so creative, but I'd always do something and then I'd be like, realise that he'd already done it. Right. <laughs> and I remember saying that to him, I was like, I thought I'd, I was the first person to find these light fittings. And he was like, Karina, no. Like, <laughs> no. Brilliant. Um, but And he was really good to me when I left the businesses as well, because there was no rubbish with him. It was very straight down the line. He was like, listen, let's be honest. You can blag your way through. Best corporate aphrodisiac is confidence. So just be confident and like mm. believe in what you're doing. And that's, it sounds silly, but especially for me, I think women are a bit worse at this. A lack of confidence was the only thing really that would have held me back because I knew what I was doing. So to have somebody like that kind of give me a bit of a push was very valuable. Yeah. So you're on your own back now as a business person. You're on your own. You had some, like you said, some great people supporting you there. But what inspired you to do Menagerie and what was the philosophy or the manifesto behind it? So I was terrified again. I'd gone from being quite confident to being scared again. With Neighbourhood and Victors, I thought that I'd kind of found the best formula going. Vibrant dining, the revenue streams, the way it all worked together. And I was like, there's nothing better. Like, why? You can't improve upon this. So I had to figure out a way to evolve it. And obviously with hospitality, it's so competitive and things are constantly moving forward. You can't sit still. So for me, I was like, okay, well, let's go back to basics. Like I did a drama degree. What did I really love about Neighbourhood? It was the engagement. It was the theatre. So I'm going to make, I'm going to create a restaurant that's more theatrical, is focused on customer engagement, building relationships, stories, um, and aimed at women because Every restaurant we've done today really been aimed at men, which is just something that everyone in hospitality does almost without thinking. Yeah. It's like a standard business model. So that was a major risk. And I also created spaces within the new venue. I designed spaces with the designer um, that weren't specifically for anything. So they weren't bar space and they weren't restaurant dining space, which yeah. is just not done because they'd be like, well, where are the tables? It's like, no, 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 we're going to put giant frames in a bathtub because girls are going to come and take photos here and it's going to be really fun for everybody and they'll come just for that. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, one of those things. And I was working with a team of guys and they're just looking at me like, you don't have a clue what you're doing. 
But obviously now, like I saw a meme with the bathtub, the menagerie bathtub in like a few yeah. weeks ago. I was like, oh God. Because the, the the culture that they were from, those builders and decorators, whatever, that, that era of restauranting didn't involve any social networking whatsoever, no. social media. But now you've created menagerie mm. and it's almost like a big part of it. It's not just about the food or the drink, the, mm. the temperature, the it's about the look of it because you know that yeah. everybody that goes in there is going to be on Instagram within seconds, aren't they? It's about um, kind of building a relationship with people, so engaging people and them to have a story that they feel like they can go away with like their own experience that they can talk about. And I think that's something that started with Southern Eleven, but now it like is so much more important to me. It's like that emotionally branding, whatever you do, it doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or it's an accountancy firm. Yeah. Like you can emotionally brand it and build a relationship with your customers. And um, we just take it to the next level because... Ultimately, for me as well, like I am female and I am 33, so I'm not far off from what my target customer is. Um, and it's fun. So I just get to do things that I really enjoy and have a really yeah. nice time with it. But I saw it being built because I literally, Menagerie is halfway between here and where I park my car. So I walk past it twice a day in the afternoon and the evening. And I've seen it, I saw it being built pretty much. Have you seen it being rebuilt? The building around the corner now. Yeah, I've seen all the boards on it. But even the boards look gra- glamorous, don't they? Oh, I was like, if you're going to reclad the building, can we make it pretty? How still, can we make it menagerie? What I was going to say was, like, at, at the beginning when they started building it, when I realised what it was, because there was all this action, people coming and going, glamorous people coming and going. Mm. And I thought, it feels a bit barren, this part of spinning fields at the moment. Cause it's on the other side of the river, the, the side that hasn't been developed yet. Yeah. But you've obviously got it bang on, because now the, mm. the community feeling around that, it's a real warm sort of part of the area again, isn't it? Did you feel it was a bit isolated at the beginning? Oh, God, it was a really difficult first year, two years. It's been a struggle. It's not been an easy, like, we didn't open the doors and just, like, we're, we weren't just successful overnight, especially because the way it developed was slower. It was a different process to how I expected it. So I had to change the business model pretty quickly. We became destination and we couldn't market in the way that we thought we were going to. But now I think... It is destination and people know what they're coming for and our message is like quite clear. But yeah, it's a really, really weird one. It's like you, the beauty of it is and the way it's worked is like you could close the road. The bridge was closed between spinning fields and the restaurant mm-hmm. and it was fenced off. You had to walk all the way around to get to us and then we were hoarded off and there's tunnels to the entrances and people find us like yeah. they go out of their way to find us because they want to. So something's going right inside. You smashed it. Like I said, every time I walk past, whether it's afternoon, evening, whenever, it's always the the, the atmosphere and the glamour and the colour that oozes out the door is just incredible, isn't it? There's always like a few limousines knocking about and a lot of celebs coming and going, isn't there, usually? Who have you oh. met in there? Who are the biggest celebs you've had in? Do you know what? This isn't the biggest celeb, but I just think he's actually like so, like so lovely. So basically, we had all that was all blocked off outside the restaurant over the bridge and... Um, there was gates to get in, but it was kind of a building site through the gates. Anyway, Tyson Fury rocks up in like a Rolls Royce, I think, or I don't know, a big, big car. And his family and like they're so, they've got the kids and everything. Anyway, just opens the gates, drives right in, parks up. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> HMRC security guard like, you've got to move, you've got to move. I was like, good luck with that. Like, I'm not telling him to move. So anyway, he did actually move because he's, he's really well-mannered. But I was just like... <laughs> Yeah, you can't stop customers. If they want to get through, if they want to come down a road, they're going to. Yeah, especially, especially if the Tyson, Tyson Fury is yeah. not, you know, sorry. Yeah, you're not coming in. Are you aware that your venue stands on the exact spot that was the gates for the old New Bailey prison that was built yes. 300 years ago? It's perfect, isn't it? Have We've you seen the pictures of it as well? I think I have seen a picture, but I've Shall seen the ruins I, more recently. I've got some here. Hang on. Oh, go on. I love stuff like this. Yeah, you'll like this. 
I've not done the ghost tour, but I fancy having a go at it. But um, mm. basically, so where your menagerie, that's... This is brilliant. It used to be a prison. You've probably seen that picture on the web there. Oh, yeah. See, it's such a beautiful building, isn't yeah. it? Well, that's exactly on the spot where menagerie is Look, now. it's got a big M on the front. It's not really, but it does look like an M. Right. And you know what I love about it as well? If you look at the, the street in front of it, it's Stanley Street. Yeah. Can you see how it kicks like a dog leg shape? And that building on in there, the, in the to the left of the picture, is exactly where the tax building is today, the HMRC. Yeah. So it's the same plan. It's amazing, isn't it? That's the so plan. that was like during the Industrial Revolution, I take it, kind of vibes. Uh, late 1800s, that was. These, oh, no, so before. They used to do public hangings outside those gates as well, Karina, I'll have you know. <laughs> do you know what? Where I'm from, there's a lane called Gallows Lane. It's the most haunted lane in the UK because obviously there's a lot of hangings there. Right. That's the view from this side of the river. Right. See, it's so beautiful. This, Why do they not see that diagonal down? bit there, there? That's down to where the Marcadi is. The Marcadi, yeah. it looks like it used to be like a landing for the boats. Yeah. And then they march the prisoners up here, get in there, lock them up, throw the key away. That's what I do with my team. <laughs> Let's not talk too much about prisoners at, at the moment. Where it is a zoo, though. Menagerie is supposed to be a That's zoo. That's exactly so what the, the word means, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But it's a collection of exotic animals, but ours is a collection of experiences. But I just People say, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm not really... If I said to other restaurateurs, I'm a restaurateur, they kind of look down the nose a bit. So I'm like, I'm a zookeeper. Yeah. I think it's, the hospitality word is key part of what you're doing it it's not just the food it's not just mm. the restaurant it's this the whole experience and the entertainment of it. I, I read somewhere you think of starting another one is that right i'm really excited about this so we're going to new york next week with the management team so it's kind of picnic dining i'd call it but people don't understand what that is until they see it i guess um so yeah the new concept that i'm working on would be a lot smaller and it's more wet led but it's also a lot more engaging Menagerie has a lot of like the theatre and the performers and that element and the catwalk, but this is a smaller space that we're looking at, so it's a different way of kind of engaging with people. Yeah, but um, I'm kind of keeping it close to my chest because people copy so quickly. I can <laughs> imagine, especially something. in that trade, yeah, in the food and drink yeah. trade these days. Uh, what did the rest of the team, your business uh, partners, think when you announced you're having a baby right in the middle of all this expansion? <laughs> well, yeah, so. Uh, be honest I was a bit worried about telling everyone and anyone because well I was worried about telling like the bank and the asset finance company and people like that but um everybody was like oh amazing great I was saying to somebody before I think it's just because everyone knows that I'm such a control freak and I'm that I wouldn't let anything go wrong so I'm kind of already planning what happens when I'm on maternity and things like the Instagram and social media I do mostly myself so that will all be done before I go off and all that so it's not the baby's going to come to work. He's basically going to have a job <laughs> with the pugs, with my two little dogs. Right, what are the dogs called? Louie and Mungo. Right, little pugs. Yeah, they're right. so cute. Have you got a name for the baby boy yet? No, because we're arguing over it. Right. Because his last name's going to be Wilkinson because his dad's from Sheffield. Yeah. So if it was Jadav, like me, it would be a bit different. Would you say you're quite a spiritual person, Karina? Very very spiritual I think um, I mean I, did, I read my friend's angel cards for them and I'm a feather like t- finder is that like fortune telling yeah right. not really I kind of get a vibe about things I think I'm, I'm very intuitive so whatever in my own life now I can definitely figure things out I get a sense about things and I kind of have a good feeling about things yeah. as to which way to go but when I was a teenager that's when I kind of started finding feathers and just had a few interesting experiences and I was like okay this is scaring me but as I've got older I've embraced it more what advice would you give to people that look at you and think I want to succeed like what she's done I want to achieve what she's done is there any any basic advice the biggest 
misconception about me or about anybody that works in industries where you see a lot on social media is that it's really glamorous. It's really easy. We just sit around and drink cocktails or mocktails. But everything comes down to hard work and it's like kind of what you put into it. And I think there are times where you may, you may not be making the most money or, you know, you don't feel like everything's going your way, but you've got to persevere through it. Mm. That's definitely for me. Like I've just put my blinkers on, kept going, even when people have been like, oh gosh, that's not good. Or maybe some of like the investors have been like looking at the numbers and not as happy with them. I was like, yeah, but I can see that it's going to be okay because I'm going to do this, this and this and I'm just going to keep marching on with it. Yeah. And you're you're in a very male orientated uh, industry as well, aren't you? Or male led industry. I think there's definitely some builders struggling to deal with me at the moment. <laughs> me and my wife used to do uh, Mrs. Boone's tea parties. We started Ooh. in 2006. She used to make the homemade cakes. And then every Saturday we used to do a little party in Manchester in uh, like TV21 or Ruby Lounge. Um, a couple of quid to get in. A quid to get in, free mm. tea, cakes, quid a piece, whatever. And people used to bring the kids. Mm. So we'd have like 100 adults, 50 kids every week. And then some band like Franz Ferdinand would come in and do a little acoustic set. Maximum oh, this party. is low-key, isn't it? Yeah, we, we did it for a couple of years, but it was before um, the, the cake thing went through the roof. It was yeah, like it was, yeah. People couldn't believe this young woman was making her own cakes mm. in 2006. It wasn't a thing. And we did it for a couple of years. Work. What I'm getting around to was that the, the amount of work it was, just that one tea party mm. every Saturday afternoon, took me a full week of getting it together, you know, the, the physical side of things, you know, even just washing the uh, vintage cups and all this kind of stuff. But what I'm saying to and agree... it's so it, upsetting it, when people break things. Oh, yeah. I didn't even mind that. We just, it, was, it was back-breaking work for mm. both of us, you know, and, uh, so I can totally relate to everything you said. And it, ironically, it, it, it only stopped when she got pregnant with Cassius, who's now eight. Oh. That's and good. suddenly she couldn't stand the smell of bacon. She was having morning sickness and literally oh. being sick in the sink. This preparation and the planning that goes into it yeah. is so intense. Well, you know, you said about that kick you could get from that, that how exhilarating it was. You could make a slight yeah. tweak to the format through the week and then you, you could mm. see the results immediately. It's so exciting. So we tasted that on a weekly basis. Yeah. Like, let's do this this week. Let's do this. And I was, de- I was DJing as well from vintage record players. Two vintage record players oh, with vinyl. Yeah. So just all those little things. We made it, we've created a real beautiful little thing that people tapped into and uh, maybe one day it'll come back. We'll yeah, see. You should. It sounds like really menagerie, that. Do you want to come to menagerie? Hey, you know what? I bet she'd love to do that. She's not keen that on making... Cool. She's more into uh, making food now rather than mm. cakes, but I bet when she is that, she might take you up on that opportunity. Tea Let's parties. talk about this beautiful city of ours. We've got a... Yeah. We do live in... I believe we live in the, the, the finest city in the world. Do you agree? I do, yeah. I've stayed here for 10 plus years now, so it's home to me. I'm so entrenched here that I can't even imagine having to leave, which is why opening something outside of Manchester just kind of gives me a cold feeling. (laughs) It will happen eventually, but I've put it off for a very long time. What about the Manchester spirit? How would you describe that? We talk about it a lot on these podcasts. In fact, that's the main reason we're doing it. We're Mm. trying to get under the skin of the the Manchester character. How would you define it? I just think it's so warm. I know we're a cold city and it's raining all the time, but I obviously have an experience where I pretty much treat it like a village. So I know everyone everywhere I go. Like I know them in the coffee shop and when I walk the dogs, I know everybody. I like know all the different dogs. I know the names. It's just friendly. Like you don't get that in other cities in the same way. Or maybe it's bigger cities. But I do think there's like a warmth of character and it's so vibrant. Like we've got everything and anything here it's crazy like if you look at what we've got in manchester that you don't have in like other cities outside of london for example but you'll have internationally people are coming to us from the us from europe from you know new zealand china for experiences that they've sought out yeah it's a tourist city now isn't it Mm, massively i just always find it 
kind of surprising when I look at my figures through social and through the website and stuff as to where people are coming from. It's fascinating. I'm like, wow, not just Menagerie, but I mean, like the city as a whole is so international and I think that's something really to be proud of because it's so forward thinking and creative. Where are your other favourite places to eat in the city? Ivuna. Ivuna is actually my favourite food in the city apart from Menagerie. (laughs) Paprika chicken is so good. That's what I go for and I tried to make it at home and I splattered paprika sauce all over the kitchen because the whisk didn't blend didn't work properly so do you do a lot of food prep at home i cook loads at home yeah but i do like mexican and spanish and indian were you like that as a a kid were you into the food or not i didn't realize at the time but my mum who is from yorkshire from bradford and is english cooked a lot of indian food at home but like proper indian food so i used to help do chapatis and like all of those kinds of things i didn't realize what a luxury that was or like how different it was at the time but I loved it Who are your favourite humans of Manchester ever Karina? Past or present? Um, I'm going to keep it close to home because I think there's some amazing people in Manchester so one person that is amazing that isn't one of my two is Sasha Lord because not only in the hospitality world is he somebody that we all kind of like really look up to um, he's now kind of got involved with Andy Burnham and he's trying to be a voice for us and he's helped me a lot as kind of a voice for people in the hospitality industry. Um, But my two people that I really, that are like two of my favourite Mancunian people, and they were both born and brought up in Manchester, are Mark Yaffe, because I don't know if you've heard of him, but he is a litigator and a partner at a law firm, JMW. But he's kind of that person that any problem I have, I pick the phone up to. Anything. It doesn't have to be legal. He fixes it and he does it with so many people that sometimes I'm like, Mark, you kind of need to worry about yourself a bit more. But but he's just from start to finish with me. He's been such a massive support and so helpful. Yeah. And he's not a chauvinist. So he actually does listen to what I've got to say, which I've found quite rare along the way. Yeah. Um, and then the other person is one of my very good friends, Nadine, best friends, Nadine Marabi, dress designer. I just massively respect her because she's absolutely grafted to get her business to where it is now and people did not give her the credit and, you know, it took a long time but the business is absolutely flying and it's very, very international now. So you've got celebrities in LA wearing her designs and she's so strict. Not just giving you that for free because you're famous and you're wealthy, you can afford to buy it, buy it kind of thing. (laughs) So, And she taught herself how to use a sewing machine. What would you, if you were to describe Manchester in three words, Karina, what would they be? Definitely vibrant, creative and family. Lovely. Good luck with your baby. Thank you for being a human of excess Manchester. That was Karina Jadav and the final episode of series two. We really hope you've enjoyed this series. We've loved reading all your feedback and we'll be back soon. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans Excess Manchester. Rate us and feel free to leave us a review. Thanks for listening. See you in a bit. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.